You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. On the show, we talk about all things law enforcement. Uh, one thing I do ask you to do is check out the website, www.thewoundedblue.org. That's the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. That is the organization that I founded and that we support on this show. Uh, we're going to take a walk into the briefing room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue. If you have listened to this show in the past, you know that during this, uh, this segment, I talk about uh, topics in law enforcement. And I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, this week. I'm going to um, reread uh, a monologue that I wrote for my television show. If you haven't seen it, go to lifezet.com. That's lifezet.com. And I have a show there called The Voice of American Law Enforcement. And uh, I, this is a, like an opinion piece, if you will. And uh, I'd like to share it with you. And then we'll talk about some current event stuff. Although this is current events too. This is a call for accountability. Accountability by those entrusted with the sacred responsibility of protecting the people they are elected to serve. I'm referring to politicians of every stripe and position without regard to political party or affiliation. When an individual is elected to a position of power, whether that be a local council person, school district member, senator, governor, or president, it is the solemn duty of those people to work in the best interest of all the people. That means enacting and enforcing local, state, and federal laws. Laws that constitute fairness, yet also assign accountability and consequences for violating those laws. America was founded under the principles of the Constitution of the United States, an incredibly durable document that has withstood all of this nation's challenges for more than 200 years. It sets forth a framework for a free, and democratic society. But every society requires rules of conduct, some formal, such as laws and regulations, and others informal, such as a societal contract, which is an expectation that those who living in a free society will abide by standards of conduct that affect the lives and welfare of other members of this society. Laws are put into place to ensure that there are consequences for violating the safety of others those who are interfering or endangering the health and welfare of other members of society. Without consequences, laws become useless. They are simply empty words with no meaning. And the harsh reality is this. There are consequences to no consequences. America is at a watershed moment. We are a nation divided. Divided by political parties and philosophies, divided by intolerance and a lack of respect for the opinions of others, and divided by differing beliefs in our system of justice. And while these divisions seem to be quite different, in fact, they are interlocking and correspond to one another. For instance, the lack of respect and disdain shown for many of the institutions in this country, such as Congress, the Senate, and even the Office of President of the United States. Like many Americans who care about our nation, I watched the State of the Union address. I think it's important to note that I am neither Republican nor Democrat. I am an independent voter who cares about deeds and actions, 
not party affiliation. My personal feelings regarding the content of the President's speech are not at issue, but the conduct of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, not only shocked my consciousness, but was an attack on the very core values of a nation already teetering on the brink of massive division. Pelosi's clearly orchestrated ripping up the president's speech was an affront to every American and demonstrated the very characteristics that are dividing and endangering our nation. Intolerance, hatred, and disrespect of those whose opinions differ from ours. I also doubt that it is a coincidence that Nancy Pelosi happens to represent an area that has embraced the very concepts of lawlessness and disregard for the rights of victims while ripping away consequences from criminal conduct. What I earlier referred to as consequences for no consequences could not be demonstrated clearer than what is taking place in the state of California as a whole and in the San Francisco area, represented by Pelosi in particular. While California is not the only state to embrace the concept of sanctuary for illegal aliens, it has certainly led the pack in creating laws that protect criminality on all levels while lowering the quality of life in cities such as San Francisco and other major urban areas. The enacting of laws such as Proposition 47, which in essence decriminalized actions like burglary, drug possession, public urination and defecation, and a slew of other quality of life crimes, has made once proud cities and bustling tourism destinations into what is by all appearances third world slums. Diminishing quality of life, increased criminal victimization, diminishing respect for law enforcement due to state laws that greatly reduce the effectiveness of police and sheriffs, greatly increase the risk to law-abiding citizens and their families. The frustration felt by law enforcement not only erodes the morale of those serving behind the badge, but reduces the capabilities and effectiveness of those officers. Recently, Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes came out publicly with some frightening statistics regarding the number of illegal aliens rearrested for new crimes as a result of California's sanctuary laws. He released a report that showed the number of illegal aliens who committed new criminal offenses after being released under California's sanctuary state laws has increased sharply since 2017. The sheriff pointed out in a statement, quote, Rather than protect our immigrant community, the new law has enabled offenders to be released, oftentimes back into the immigrant communities they prey upon and create new victims, unquote. Responsibility for creating new victims in California falls squarely on the lawmakers such as Nancy Pelosi and others elected uh, that have been elected, such as the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. But California lawmakers are not the only ones creating new victims. Governor Andrew Cuomo and lawmakers of the state of New York, as well as the New York City Mayor de Blasio, have succeeded in endangering the lives of every citizen of New York with their radical new, quote, criminal justice reforms, unquote. These new laws include what they are referring to as bail reform, which while being touted as a a social justice endeavor, is in reality the wholesale release of dangerous offenders without even having to post bail when they kill, 
maim, steal, and even rape others. When you add to this dangerous mix of enacted laws reducing or eliminating consequences for committing crimes, what has become a dangerous trend in, in, uh, is in electing activist prosecutors and district attorneys. Then you have the perfect storm for chaos. The election of Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, Chesa Bowden in San Francisco, and numerous others across the United States have created a startling elimination of consequences. Not because of laws enacted, but elected officials who have radical philosophical views. And they are the very people entrusted to prosecute the criminals who prey on society, but who they now vow to protect from consequences for their lawlessness. I told you at the beginning of this monologue that this was a call for accountability. Accountability on the part of those elected officials whose duty and responsibility is to protect the people of the cities, towns, and states they've been elected to serve. There could be no greater honor than have the trust of the people. But with that honor comes an incredible duty. The duty to put aside personal biases, political philosophies, friendships, and feelings for the good of the people who elected you. It is a daunting task and one that challenges personal strength and integrity. For the allure of power is a constant and potent temptation. Our nation is struggling. The divisions that are ripping across America will have long-lasting and far-reaching consequences. While we have survived threats and wars and many internal conflicts in the past, we as a nation must come together and unify if we are to thrive and grow as a people. It is only through ethical and committed leadership that we will overcome division and intolerance. And I pray that we are up to the task. That's the monologue that I wrote for my television show. Uh, if you want to take a look at it, go to lifezet.com and you can uh, check it out there. Um, but I, I thought it was important to share with you this viewpoint. Um, watching watching the, the State of the Union address, um, I, th I saw some amazing... Some amazing things take place there. The the um, Tuskegee Airmen who was who was honored and given at 102 or 103 years old, given the honor of, of being made a brigadier general. Um, uh, families reunited on uh, during the during the speech. I mean, there was some amazing stuff, and yet um, between Pelosi and and some of the other uh, actions that I saw there that were so disrespectful. Um, it, it was, it was an embarrassment to me and, and, you know, I, I, I love this country. I, be, I believe myself to be a patriot. Um, and even though we, we can differ in our opinions, we should not allow, um, those differences in opinions in, in, uh, in, in causing us to become so, um, virulent in our, uh, in our opinions that they affect this country, and that's what we're seeing from our elected leaders, and and it's it's pitiful to watch. It's an embarrassment. Um, it interferes with the the um, um, ability of of our lawmakers to work together to create a country that that frankly um, is is at at odds with each other. So um, anyway, I wanted to share that with you. 
if you if you like that type of monologue, um, reach out to me on my Facebook page if you would. Let me know. I'm at uh, the Voice of American Law Enforcement on Facebook, or you can Twitter me at LT Randy Sutton. If you love coffee as much as I love coffee, in fact, even if you don't love it as much as I do, but you like it. Law Dog Coffee Company is the newest and the greatest coffee company to come along in a long time. Now, all right, I admit I'm a little prejudiced because Law Dog Coffee is a major sponsor of the Wounded Blue. They actually donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue. And they are uh, a partner of, of the Wounded Blue in a lot of different ways. So... This coffee company is uh, is law enforcement uh, based. It supports law enforcement, but most importantly, the coffee is amazing. I I love it. I mean, it's uh, it's rich. It's uh, uh, organically grown. It's ethically grown in uh, in Costa Rica. It is uh, um, roasted by a family roasting company. It's been in business for ninety years. Uh, it's rich, it is delicious, and it gets delivered directly to your door. It's uh, subscription-based. You can have one pound, two pound, 20 pounds, however much you want, delivered right to your door and uh, and get a taste of this amazing coffee. So go to lawdogcoffee.com. It was one word, lawdogcoffee.com. And, and also, by the way, they get some amazing gear, uh, T-shirts and mugs and hats and all kinds of stuff, uh, really cool designs. So check it out, LawDogCoffee.com. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement is a 20-year law enforcement veteran officer. He's a trainer, Army veteran, father of three, a husband, and he is also the author of Let Go, The Movement Process. 
And besides being the author of this amazing book, he is also a well-known law enforcement trainer, actually first responder trainer, having, um, having created a training concept called Going Beyond the Call, Mental Health Fitness for Public Safety Professionals. His name is Sean Wyman. Sean, thank you so much for being on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Hey, thank you, Randy. It's such an honor to be here. So you and I have had a couple discussions, and I, I felt it was, it was really, um, you'd make a great guest because the, first of all, your story is amazing, your personal story of your journey and what brought you to, um, to you know, basically live a life of service. So let's, let's go back to the beginning, if you will. Let's talk a little bit about um, your past and about what caused you to create not only the idea for the book, but to write this amazing book and, and devote your life to the mental health fitness of, uh, of first responders. So, you know, for me, it started with my own personal past, um, dealing with uh, my dad leaving when I was born. Uh, mental and physical abuse by my stepfather from the age of 7 to 10, a, uh, a life-changing moment at the age of 10 that could have really uh, redirected my life uh, permanently, if you will. One moment could have destroyed my whole life. And then that leading into foster care and group homes. And you know, through that whole process, uh, going through the adverse childhood experiences that I went through really challenged me for a long time, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, using negative coping mechanisms, uh, drinking, ex drug experimentation, although that wasn't that heavy, the, the drinking was what really became toxic for me. Um, and then of course, you know, and that was like at the age of 12, I started drinking and then drinking all the way, all the way through until I was 27. And, you know, just the using that as a coping mechanism and realizing that, uh, that that was that was what I was doing to try to address what I what I had not officially addressed, which was dealing with my past and all of the things that had happened to me when I was a kid. And you know, as you're growing up, you think, "Hey, wow, I, you know, I must be the only one that's going through this." But as you get older, you begin to recognize that you're not the only one. And what led me to uh, get inspired to write both the books that I wrote was, was one, the recognition that at some point you have to go back and deal with your past. Otherwise you'll never really be able to live the life that you're really meant to live. And then that's easier said than done. So how do we actually do that? And then I started looking at how that tied into public safety as far as what we do as a profession. I mean, a large majority of our career is focused on dealing with social, emotional, challenging problems. So if we're not 100% and we haven't addressed our own social, emotional challenges, how can we be expected to go out there and deal with others? And that's really what inspired me, along with seeing the self-destruction in the public safety industry, the amounts of suicides and addictions and divorces and all the different aspects of uh, negative behavior, if you will, I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to be a part of helping to be involved in that change. And so uh, 
you know, that's why um, I, I, I found a good friend of mine and we came together and we put together this program called Going Beyond the Call, which focuses on mental health fitness for public safety professionals. Well, you're a, your timing couldn't be any better. I mean, we're, we've seen uh, such a devastating increase in the, uh, in the suicide rate of, uh, of all first responders, especially police. And we were just now starting to take this as a serious issue within the profession. So tell us a little bit about, about uh, the book that you wrote, uh, and then we'll talk about the training as well. Randy, which book are you talking about? Because I wrote two. I wrote the one for Let Go of the Movement Process, and then I also wrote the one for Going Beyond the Call. Well, you know, let's talk about both of them. They're both, okay. they're both important. Okay. So let go of the movement process really focused on my personal challenges. The, uh, you know, my dad leaving, being mentally and physically abused, um, you know, basically premeditating the murder of my stepfather at the age of 10 and what that, what those challenges uh, did to me personally, going into foster home, the alcoholism, um, going into the military, having a near death experience in the military uh, you know, suffering from uh, divorce, becoming a single father while my while my son was had basically just been born, having to make tough decisions, um, and then the recognition when I got into my law enforcement career that I had to change something or I was never going to survive in this career. There was no way the, the direction that I was going. And this is what I really wanted to do my whole life. My whole purpose had been, you know, because of positive influence from law enforcement, as I was growing up in a challenging environment, I saw that as my way out and a way to, if you will, guarantee me not to go down the dark path that I was so scared I was going to fall down. As far as, you know, my stepfather being an abuser, I didn't want to be an abuser. I didn't want to abuse my wife. I didn't want to abuse my kids. I didn't want to be anywhere near that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to have, um, you know, uh, a way to not be able to take care of my family. I didn't want to live in a house with no running water and no electricity. I didn't want to go through those things. So I started really doing a lot of, uh, of, of searching and what I call divine intervention really gave me this aha moment where I recognized that I needed to go back and deal with my past. And what I discovered as I went through that process, which was a 10-year process, right? You know, you discover it, but then, you know, it took so long to get you to the place where you're at. It takes a while to get you out of that place in order to get to the place you really want to get to. So for me, because I'd lived so long hiding my past, it took a while to face it, address it, and be able to release it so I could be able to move forward with my life. So the book, the uh, Let Go of the Movement Process, is about letting go of the things that are holding you back and the movement process that actually can help you to let go of those things as well as focus on a legitimate transformation into what you're really supposed to become. Well, that's a, that's a hell of a challenge there. Uh, you know, the, the, personal, the personal experience that you had. I mean, and one of the things that, you know, I... I we really need, because you just popped it out there. Your your you know premeditated 
um, uh, thought process about murdering your stepfather. You know, I think it's, that's not something you just throw out and you don't talk about. So okay. if you would, let's talk about that for a moment. Because sure. that, that was a pivotal life's experience for you. It was, it was, it was very, it was, and it, it could have taken me down the dark side or the, or, you know, the side that I've been blessed to end up on. So my, my mom was white. My stepfather was black. We lived in a predominantly, uh, you know, low income neighborhood. There was a lot of drugs. I was the only white kid that lived in that neighborhood. So I took a lot of mental and physical abuse outside of the home. But what people didn't realize was there was even more inside the home. You know, my stepfather was mentally and physically abusive. He was addicted to heroin and cocaine, and he was dealing as well as using, which was just super, super toxic, man. Um, you know, my mom was uh, this beautiful woman who had this successful career, and I watched this man just totally mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually just tear apart the woman that I saw that had so much strength, so much courage, so much love in her heart. I watched him just destroy that. And it came to a point when I was 10 that, you know, I mean, I'd been hit with everything you could possibly imagine. And I'd been beaten pretty extreme on many occasions. But this was the one time that I got beat to the point where I couldn't move for an entire week. And I remember, I remember the night that I got beat and it was over the stupidest thing. It was because a school play went late and he was pissed because he had something else that he wanted to do that night. And so he, you know, as we got home that night from this, this event that I was leaving, he, it just, he started beating me at the front door. He threw me inside. He ripped his belt off. He started beating me with his belt. He was punching me. He was throwing me against the wall. He was slamming me on the floor. I mean, this was a 250-pound guy. This wasn't some small guy. And I'm 10 years old. And, you know, I was, you know, if I was lucky, I might have been, you know, 70 pounds soaking wet, if that, if that. And so I was getting thrown around like a rag doll. And then all of a sudden, everything went dark. And I was at total peace. I didn't feel anything. I didn't, I, everything just went completely dark. And what had happened was he completely knocked me out into um, unconsciousness. And when I woke up, I woke up the next day and my mom was laying or kneeling right next to me on the side of the bed, crying her eyes out. And he was there over her shoulder, begging her for forgiveness and telling her how sorry he was and telling her how it was the drugs and he had just lost control and just all this, this crap basically. And I remember I just wanted to reach over and hug my mom and tell her everything was okay. And I, when I couldn't reach over and hug my mom and I was literally in this sense of paralysis cause I'd been beat so bad that I couldn't move my entire body. I got so pissed, Randy. I got so angry that this homicidal feeling came up inside of me. And I knew that my stepfather carried a gun. He carried a small little 38 in his back pocket. He always bragged about killing police officers if they ever tried to pull him over. And he just, you know, I knew the gun was there. And I came up with a plan that I was going to shoot my stepfather and I was going to run away. And so, you know, a week later, I packed my backpack. I'm able to move now. I wait till they go to sleep. It's probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night. I slide into the bedroom. I take the gun right out of the back left pocket, exactly where it's always been. I take it. I go to the foot of the bed. My stepfather's on the left. My mom's on the right. I draw and I point the gun right at my stepfather. 
and I'm trembling, I'm shaking, and I put my finger in the trigger, and I slowly start to take the slack out of the trigger, and I slowly start to pull the trigger back. And I remember, man, it was right there on his head. I had it pointed. I was probably, I don't know, four feet, if that, from him. And I was pulling the slack out, and at the very last second, probably when the gun should have gone bang, it didn't. And I stopped. I took my finger out of the trigger. I laid the gun down between my mom and my stepfather. I grabbed my backpack, and I ran away. And that was a changing moment. And I never thought about that until years later, what that moment must have been like when my mother and my stepfather woke up and saw that gun laying between them. I mean, there had to be some like holy cow, what just happened? Because I know that when I was found and they called my mom, they were like, hey, great news, we found your son. And I remember my mom going, no, he could never come back here again, ever. And I remember the loss. I felt like I had lost my mother that day. I felt like my mom had abandoned me. And I lived with this perception for years, Randy, that my mom had left me and I was all by myself, and, and the one person that I thought I could always depend on had abandoned me. And later on down the road, I would come to the realization that the perception didn't equal the reality, because the reality is my mother saved my life when she put me into foster care, but I was too young to understand and realize that. And it took until I was much, much older in my life to really figure that out. That is a hell of a story, man. I, I mean, it's uh, it's heartbreaking, and, and yet, you know, you look – now at uh, what you what what this led to as far as your accomplishments and your I mean you uh, you became a law enforcement officer you've spent your entire life in service now between the uh, between you know the armed forces and, and 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 police so now you have created you've written two books um, you've uh, all about helping other cops and other first responders and you've created this training program um, and the, the training program going beyond the call, you're presenting to, you know, just beginning to present to law enforcement and first responders around the country. Talk about what that, talk about the, the training course and what you're, what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Okay. Oh, this is awesome, man. Cause this is like my favorite part right here. The good stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what I really want to accomplish is I want to be able to train public safety in general, right? Whether you're a firefighter, a dispatcher, a corrections officer, EMS, or of course law enforcement, or anything in between, forensics, victims advocate, anybody that interacts with people in high stress environments on a regular basis like we do, this program was designed with that in mind. And I really want to take people back as if they had, you know, because we've never had good mental fitness training across the board, right? Every person I've asked from every industry, I ask them, what kind of training did you get when it came to understanding your own mental fitness? And the answer is the same every time. Zero. We didn't get it. We didn't get training about ourselves. We got training about how to serve our communities. We got training about how to put fires out. We got training about how to fire our weapons uh, proficiently and effectively. We got training about how to use force. We got training about how to drive and be in high-speed pursuits. We got training about effective arrest. We got training about answering 911 calls. We got training about taking care of and securing people in our prison systems. And we got training about how to medically treat people that are in very high traumatic states. But we never got the training 
that was the most significant and most important and what I feel like is the super glue to keeping us where we're in the right state of mind and in the right place as we go forward in this job. And I believe it's been proven because if you look at the statistics across the board in all of public safety, the suicide rate is higher in every aspect than any other element that we train against that's supposed to kill us. So if that's the case, my thought process was, why is this not a higher priority? Why are we not training this in the colleges and universities and the criminal justice and public safety programs as they're getting started in these careers? Why isn't this at the academy level? Why isn't the first part of the academy talking about what we are going to face, what we are going to deal with, what we are going to interact with, and what the science of that looks like, what our bodies are going to go through, how that's going to impact our families, how it's going to impact us, how it's going to impact, you know, everything that we do if we don't, if we don't have a good grasp and a good understanding of how this part of our, of our training works, the, you know, the science, the, the mental health side for us. Now, I'm not talking about the mental health in our community. I'm talking about our own mental wellness inside of ourselves, really being able to understand how we function and how we work because we can't avoid the events. The events are going to come. There's no way around it. We're going to go to events. There's going to be trauma. It's going to be at different levels. There's going to be stress. Some of it's going to be good stress. Some of it's going to be very high, bad stress. And we need to understand how to deal with those things. So my program is focused on creating a tactical, emotional, adversity management system, or teams for short, right? Tactical, emotional, adversity management system that is a tool for all public safety professionals so they know how stress really works. They understand how trauma really works. And they understand how trauma can lead up to PTSD if it isn't managed, if it isn't dealt with accordingly. If we're not teaching them to break, if we're not breaking the stigma, Randy, and teaching them that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have a conversation with somebody. It's okay to you know, to be hurt after you see something, to be upset about something, to be emotionally caught up in the moment. Now, I'm not taking away from the tactics. I've been a defensive tactics and a firearms instructor for 18 years. And I actually believe this training will make all of that training even better because we are more in tune with what's actually going on. We're more in tune with ourselves. We're more in tune with the people that we're interacting with. And we have a much better understanding. So when we implement this training correctly, and you now have a tool in your toolbox that helps you to deal with the, the tactical, the emotional, the adversity, and you have, an, you have a management system in place to be able to do those things, you bridge the gaps in your community, you reduce the liability in your organizations and beyond, you are creating better mental wellness internally and externally in your individual um, people in your organization and with their families. And most importantly, man, we're going out there and we're starting to change the way we train. And I believe that will lead to saving lives. That will lead to reducing suicides. That'll lead to reducing addiction. That'll lead to reducing divorce and all the other aspects that we are really challenged and faced with right now. You have just uh, hit on probably the most important topic facing law enforcement uh, and your passion 
for what you're doing is uh, is something you can you know you you feel in your voice. Let me ask you this: now you you've uh, you've been a, a working cop for years. What is the science behind uh, what what you've got going on? Because you know this is a this is an imperfect science. You know when you're talking about mental health. You're talking about emotional wellness. Every psychologist, every psychiatrist has their own differing opinion on the best methodology to, to uh, you know, bring it forth. Um, what's the science behind yours that gives credibility to what you're putting out there? You know, that's a great question. I would say the most important part is the science of the brain. Like when you deal with stress, your brain does certain things to protect you. It naturally protects you. So first of all, just us understanding how our brain works in these traumatic situations is going to help us dramatically have a better understanding of what we're interacting with and what we're dealing with. Um, understanding the, the, uh, the, the physiological aspects of stress and what it does to us in our body. You know, we talk about uh, hypervigilance, right? But we don't talk about hypovigilance where, you know, you have hypervigilance is where everything's up and you're, you're, everything is 100% on point. You're always focused. You're always paying attention. Your head's on a swivel, you know, and, and you're doing that, especially as a cop. You're always, you know, paying attention to what's going on around you. You're acute to every sound and everything that's going on, whereas hypo you pretty much shut down. Everything gets quiet and you, you're not that way. You're actually at a point where almost a numbing effect, if you will, right? So it's important for us to be able to recognize this, not only in ourselves, but also in the people that we work with day in and day out so that we can have uh, what we call good peer-to-peer -peer programs where we can have conversations with each other, you know, where we can have um, opportunities to be able to, um, you know, interact with each other, but also go outside of our organizations and get help if that's what we need. Um, and, you know, we, we pull in from a lot of different experts, right? Kevin Gilmorton, you're familiar with Kevin, right? Oh, he's, uh, he's one of the best. Yep. Yeah. I cite a lot of his stuff because he has some really good information talking about the science and the different things that happen. So there's some things that are cited from him. Uh, Dave Grossman, who wrote the, for, uh, the foreword on the book, another one that we tie in to what we're talking about. Um, but we also deal with the ACEs side, which is the adverse childhood experiences, because a lot of people that come into our profession, they are the most perfect people when they come in, like myself. They, they went through things in their past, and because of those things, they want to come into this profession to make a difference, to serve people, to help people, because maybe they, weren't, they didn't get that help when they needed it. So they see the importance of that. So it's helping them to understand it from, there's a lot of different aspects to this. I'd say the biggest one is the brain science. And that's what my partner Dee really loves. So she calls it the nerdy side, right? But the brain science, you know, from the reptilian brain to the conscious brain to the subconscious side and really breaking down how all that works and talking about when we take something and we store it in our subconscious and we don't address it. And we think, oh, well, I'll come back and deal with that later. But because we're so busy, we go call to call to call. We just keep build up, build up, build up. And then one day, we don't go to a call anymore. One day, we come to that end of where we call it retirement. And we're supposed to be happy and celebrating and moving forward with a different chapter in our life. And then all of a sudden, 
the vault is opened because there is nothing else to stop it from opening. There is no more, uh, you don't have anything to keep your mind busy. So now it starts going back because the brain naturally wants to be as healthy as it possibly can. So it starts pushing this stuff back out going, Hey, we need to deal with this. And you know, you know, we, we get triggered from, you know, all different aspects, whether it's a call or something we see on TV or something we hear or something we taste or something we see, you know, there's all these different aspects that can lead to different trigger mechanisms and all that type of stuff. So I would say the leading science for us is the brain science. Well, you've, uh, you're talking about a topic now that, um, is, is a little difficult to explain to lay people, um, and, and for law enforcement officers to try and grasp, um, the, the, the concepts here, uh, the presentation is all important. So how many people do you think, I know this is a fairly recent endeavor for you, uh, but, uh, how many people do you think you've reached so far with your training program? Okay, with the training program, several hundred, because we, we started out before we ever created Going Beyond the Call, we were doing some form of this training. We just weren't implementing the, the trauma and the stress side. We were more focused on the communication aspect, how you communicate with people, and we're working it from that angle. But then we brought in uh, dealing with stress and trauma and, and all of those different aspects, and that's where it really changed and became more dynamic, if you will, and, and helps them to understand, um, you know, the, what I call the trauma-informed side, right? And this isn't something I made up. The trauma-informed care has been around in the social services side for a long time. But it really needs to be on our side because we're expected to be social workers. We're expected to be counselors. We're expected to be parents. And a lot of times, or no, most of the time, we are not getting trained anything in social work or psychology or counseling or even parenting for that matter. So this book is like a crash course in all of that to help someone to have the tools that they need, whether they're just getting ready to start the job, they're just getting on the job, or they've been on the job for the while, or they've even you know, just recently retired. We're actually working on a retirement program right now to train retirees to catch them back up to go, hey, look, let's, let's, let's talk about this. This is what could have happened to you while you were going through your career, and I wanna make sure that we catch it and we address it if there's anything we need to deal with I want you to know that it's there and here's the resources that you can go to, to work things out. We're uh, so you're going to be offering this, this course. I mean, literally this is the ground floor. Yes, sir. Um, uh, so how can people avail themselves of the training? So right now, most of it is in Florida, but we do not plan on staying in Florida. So if you're outside of Florida and you're like, huh, this is something I'm definitely interested in and I would love to have a conversation you can reach out to me directly. Um, go to GBTC911.com, which is going beyond the call, the acronym GBTC911.com. There's a place in there where you can contact you can contact us directly. You can call me. You can reach me through social media. And we can have a conversation about what our training is. We can send you a training outline. The thing I love the most is that we really focus this towards all public safety. So let's say that you're a dispatcher listening today and you're going, oh, this isn't for me because this sounds more law enforcement oriented. No, that's not the case. We would customize the training to communications 911 dispatchers. 
if it was firefighters, we would customize it to them. If there's certain pieces that you want and certain pieces that you don't want, we can, we can customize the training to what best fits your needs. And we understand that that has to be part of the, the, the program. You need something that's customizable and relatable to you. So like when we do firefighter training, I'm going to have firefighter trainers that will be with us to help implement this so that they have someone that they can connect with, right? Because you were talking about layman terms. I agree. I wanted this to be simple and understandable and not complicated. And I think we've done a really good job of finessing it and getting it to that place with everybody that we've trained over the last three, about three years now, and really going beyond the call about the last year, we've probably trained about two, 300 people so far, just in the Florida, just in Florida. So not, that doesn't include anybody that's gotten the book and is getting training out of the book because the book itself is the training manual. It is an actual training manual that you can read the book and start to apply what you learn from there into your everyday career, whatever that looks like for you. Fantastic, man. I, I, I can't uh, thank you enough for, uh, for both, uh, you know, your endeavors here. You, you have, uh, you've recognized an incredible need. You recognize that, um, that this is a, 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 there's a huge gap that needs to be filled in uh, and, and giving these young men and women, especially who are at the entry phase of their career, um, giving them the, op- the opportunity to get this training. I just hope that the law enforcement um, embraces it, that, uh, you know, the management of different agencies finally recognize that this is an essential part of, uh, of the preparation process for law enforcement. And, uh, you got a, you got a, you got a big fight ahead of you, buddy. But, uh, I think that, uh, that you're on a, you're on a great path. Uh, you've made some incredible accomplishments. So I urge my uh, listeners to, uh, check you out on Amazon, uh, going beyond the call, um, let it, let go the movement process, check out gbtc911.com and, uh, and reach out reach out because uh, um, there is a, there is a tremendous need out there. So um, I want to, I want to thank you again for taking the time, Sean. Uh, this is Sean Wyman, um, a t- more than a 20 year law enforcement officer, uh, a, a veteran and, uh, and, and, and now stepping into the world of law enforcement and first responder training. So thanks again, Sean. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Hey, thank you, Randy. I greatly appreciate it as well, man. It was such an honor to be a part of this show. Well, I think you'll probably be on again because we're gonna we're gonna keep uh, we're gonna keep tabs on you and <laughs> uh, see how we can help. Thank you, sir. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement for any time, you know that. We are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have it fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through. 
we exist for you. You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join and if you're a police officer or have them exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store, it's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country Many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. Spreading the outlaw truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Ron Martinelli. And I'm Linda Martinelli. As former law enforcement officers, we know that your life and the lives of those you love and work with can change in an instant when you encounter an active shooter. Unfortunately, in today's world of uncertainty, encountering an armed active shooter can have deadly consequences. That's why the key to survival is training and preparedness. And that's why we want to invite our listeners to seriously consider taking our Response to Active Shooter training course. Violence can happen to you anytime and anywhere and when you least expect it. Having a response and survival plan and engaging it can be the difference between life and death for you or a family member. Our Response to Active Shooter courses are customized for the corporate, school, church, restaurant, and small business environment at a reasonable budget that fits your needs. So don't put this life-saving training off because you don't think it will ever happen to you. We call those people victims. Our Response to Active Shooter instructors are all nationally renowned tactical law enforcement experts who will guide you through the life-saving protocols you'll need to survive an active shooter event. So be a victor, not a victim. Go to responsetoactiveshooter.com to learn more today. Remember, that's all one word, responsetoactiveshooter.com, and be safe out there. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we feel it is our duty to... Honor the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This week, unfortunately, I have four names to read. The first is Police Officer Alan McCullum of the Corpus Christi Police in Texas. Police Officer Alan McCullum was struck and killed by a drunk driver 
while conducting a traffic stop on Highway 358 near Carroll Lane at 9.38 p.m. He and two other officers were on the scene of the stop when another vehicle struck one of the patrol cars, then struck him and a second officer. Officer McCollum suffered fatal injuries. The other officer suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The drunk driver who caused the crash was charged with intoxication manslaughter, driving with a suspended license and intoxication assault. Officer McCollum was a U.S. Army veteran, recipient of the Bronze Star. He had served with the Corpus Christi Police for almost seven years. He is survived by his wife and three children. Police Officer Alan McCollum, Corpus Christi Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Friday, January 31st, 2020. The second is Deputy Sheriff Richard Witten of the Liberty County Sheriff's Office in Texas. Deputy Sheriff Richard Witten succumbed to complications of a gunshot wound sustained on May 29, 2019, while responding to a shots fired call in Cleveland. He was en route to a training class and had just driven past the scene of the double murder when the shooting was dispatched over the radio. As he responded back to the scene and encountered the suspect fleeing in a vehicle, Deputy Witten and a member of the Cleveland Independent School District Police pursued the subject onto CR-2243, where the man immediately pulled into the parking lot of a veterinary office. As Deputy Witten challenged the subject, the man produced a handgun and opened fire, striking him in the neck and paralyzing him. The other officer returned fire as the subject fled. The man later committed suicide after being located by other officers. Deputy Witten was flown to Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston in critical condition. On February 3, 2020, he suffered a complication while undergoing physical therapy and passed away. Deputy Witten had served with the Liberty County Sheriff's Office for four years. Deputy Sheriff Richard Witten, Liberty County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of watch, Monday, February 3, 2020. The next officer is Police Officer Nick O'Rear of the Kimberly Police Department in Alabama. Police Officer Nick O'Rear was shot and killed during a vehicle pursuit on I-65 near Old U.S. Highway 31 at about 10 p.m. An officer with the Warrior Police Department had initiated the pursuit when he attempted to conduct a traffic stop. Officer O'Rear responded to assist in the pursuit when the man opened fire, striking him. Officer O'Rear's vehicle then crashed nearby. He was transported to UAB Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds at 1.15 a.m. The driver fled into Jefferson County, where he was taken into custody and subsequently charged with capital murder. Officer O'Rear had served with the Kimberly Police Department for one year, previously served with the Asheville Police Department. He is survived by his two children, with a third child on the way. Police Officer Nick O'Rear, Kimberly Police Department, Alabama. End of watch, Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. The next officer to lose his life in the line of duty was Trooper Joseph Bullock of the Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Joseph Bullock was shot and killed when he encountered a disabled vehicle on I-95 just north of the interstate rest area in Martin County. He stopped to assist what he believed to be a disabled motorist at about 10.15 a.m. One of the occupants of the vehicle fatally shot him as he approached. An off-duty Riviera Beach police officer who happened to be driving past the scene shot and killed the subject. Trooper Bullock was a U.S. Air Force veteran and served with the Florida Highway Patrol for 19 years. He is survived by his wife and two sisters. Trooper Joseph Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, end of watch, Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty. May they rest in peace.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, where we bring you everything about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. A couple things. If you are on Facebook, please come to my page. That is the voice of American law enforcement and like it and follow it. Also, um, since you're going to be on Facebook anyway, go to the Wounded Blue and uh, like that and follow that as well. If you're a Twitterer, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. And um, I think that about covers my social media presence. I do want to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people that have uh, ideas about stories, about things you want me to cover. I try to be as responsive as I can. And uh, anyway, I I really do appreciate you tuning in to Blue Lives Radio. And, you know, uh, we've been on the air a little over three years now. And I hear from a lot of my folks that listen to the show that it's, that it's meaningful to you. Thanks again for tuning in. 